0: The Sunday Sermons Podcast. This whole series is about two things. One is trying to work the spiritual disciplines more than ever into our lives, this is not a legalistic thing. This is not a thing for how to be super Christians or how to do this better than other churches or anything, anything like that. That's just pure nonsense. These are simply practices that work. We see them in the scripture. We see Jesus and so many other of our biblical heroes doing them and teaching them and commanding them. We see Christians throughout the centuries that have practiced these. They are the power tools that actually shape us and change us. And the second thing that we're focusing on in these several weeks is, is the, trying to find your rhythm within the big band that is the church. We're trying to find the spot that God created for you. The you that God created you to be. The part that God created you to play and learn to play that better. We started a couple weeks ago in the garage. Uh, those of us who are musicians just love to get together and just jam and just practice and it's, it's fun. And that's what we're doing here this morning, metaphorically speaking. Uh, this is where we get together. And there's something about prioritizing a time to get together, prioritizing a practice, prioritizing, promising to another group of people that, yeah, I'm going to be here every time and I'm going to show up and I'm going to try to bless you. I'm not just going to expect you to bless me. There's power in that. And that's why the, spirit- the spiritual discipline of fellowship is there. That's why it's so important that we commit to a big group experience, why we commit to smaller group experiences as well. Last week, we looked at some of the things that you have to do alone. Any musician knows you have to put in the work at home. You have to actually learn how to play your instrument. You have to learn the songs. You have to show up prepared or it just doesn't work. You may have fun, but you're not going to actually get anywhere. And we looked at some of those, those spiritual disciplines that we practice alone. And again, we see the example throughout Scripture, including Jesus Christ himself. Well, today we're going to go on tour. This is the magical part for most musicians. This is where you actually get to put it all together and actually show it with somebody. I'm one of those really rare musicians that actually loves the whole experience. I love going to bed in one place, getting up, going and playing somewhere else, going to bed there, waking up, going somewhere else. I love that. I love the long hours on the road. I love those little white lines just flying next to you. I could go on and on. You don't need to hear this. I'm a very rare person who loves the whole experience of living on the road and playing music. Back in the day, I got some time to do that. But I made some choices that took my life a different way and I'm thankful for them. And and, and the the, the choices that I made, uh, I, I think were really God leading me and he used the spiritual disciplines we're talking about today to do that. One is simplicity. Simplicity is simply where, no pun intended, It's just where you focus on what's most important and you're willing to let whatever else is not the most important kind of fall away to the side. Stewardship is the second thing we're going to explore today, and that's simply remembering that everything that you have, everything that I have, everything that all of us have ever known or had in any way, any sense of the word ownership, it really doesn't belong to us at all. It belongs to God. We're just stewards of it. We're his managers. We we, we take care of his stuff. And and, and what we're here to do is to serve others much more than ever to be served. Going on tour is hard work. It's long hours. It's confusing directions. It's grumpy people. If you're lucky, you have fans. Guaranteed you're going to have critics. Just being with the band all cramped up all the time, there's some friction there. There's so much crazy stuff. Again, I loved it. But there's a lot of denying yourself in all of these things. And that's why we're going to start with the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. If you're following along with the sermon outline, you're going to see pretty much it just says Luke 9. Because the entire chapter focuses on this concept. But we're going to start here in the middle. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. But whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. And in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels don't have time to go back and quote Greek and all this very much this morning. we got a lot of ground to cover. But I do want to point this out. If you've got an older version that translates um, and lose his soul, that's not a bad translation. But the original Greek does say lose himself. And and the reason that some of the more modern translations change that is not that they're trying to change the actual word of God, but they're trying to help us get back to the big picture there. When, When we say in modern English, when we say soul, I don't know about you, but at least I tend to think of my eternal soul. I think of the me that's going to survive death it's, or the return of Jesus. It's the me that's going to just, what, what, the me that's going to be in heaven. But Jesus is talking here about you, period. The you that God created you to be before and after death. And primarily before. He's saying, what good is it if you get famous and rich and everybody thinks you're awesome and you, you win according to this world, but you miss who God created you to be? You miss the spot that you were supposed to be in. You miss the part you were supposed to play in this life and in the next. That's not worth it. It's all of the above. And it's not a competition. I work out not because I think I'll finally look like Chris Hemsworth someday. I wish I could. But I've got as much chance. He's taller than me. He's blonde. He's Australian. He's young. He's all those things. I work out trying to be the best me I can be. Does that make sense? That's really what Jesus is saying is, I created you. You've got to find out who you are. Play that role. In Luke 9, he starts out the chapter, Jesus Jesus is just living it. We start out, Luke starts out the chapter. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Jesus sends out the 12 on a mission trip. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice he has two two jobs for them on this trip they're not always the same jobs if you look at when he sends people out sometimes there's 12 sometimes there's 72 there's some other numbers sometimes they have different jobs but this time these are their two jobs he told them take nothing for the journey no staff no bag no bread no money no extra shirt whatever house you enter stay there until you leave that town If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So notice what he's setting up here. He's giving them something very clear to focus on and do. And he's also saying, you got no distractions whatsoever. You're not allowed to take any distractions. You're going to have to completely trust me on this whole journey. God will provide. So they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. They got the job done. That's the essence of simplicity. And Luke tells us in the middle of this chapter that this is the season that Jesus is starting to set his sights on Jerusalem. This is literal and metaphorical. He is physically starting to move closer and closer. He's also starting to do some things like these mission trips and feeding big groups of people that are going to get the attention that is going to get him closer and closer to when he actually dies and rises again for us. But he's also metaphorically, he's preparing not only himself, but the people around him. He's preparing them for what's about to happen. He's helping them get where they need to be. And brothers and sisters, we've got to realize this. We've got to get this where we miss the whole thing of spiritual disciplines. They're transformational. The things that Jesus asks us to do, it's not because he just wants to put another thing on our list. It's because he wants us to be changed into being like him. And that is everything that Jesus is doing for his disciples in this season. Everything you say to everybody, no matter how weird it seems to us, it's all because he's trying to help them become the kind of people that he needs them to be. That's why he says some things like this near the end of the chapter. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. See, Jesus practiced simplicity. He didn't have a home. He didn't have any of the things that we would assume a responsible, good adult like Jesus would have. He trusted God. He had a job to do. He did that job. Here's another person that came to him. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow... And looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Focus on what I tell you to do. Let everything else just fall to the side. And that's why we're going to say these three words together. We focus ruthlessly. I'm going to ask you to say it with me a second. First, I just can't help myself. One of my favorite old poems from Ogden Nash says, "Went Riding on my motorbike with Ruth in back of me. We hit a bump at 55 and went on ruthlessly. (laughs) Yeah, see, that's good. And that's kind of harsh, but that is the idea of being ruthless, not necessarily letting people fall by the wayside, but staying on course. And whatever is not part of that plan just falls away. Ruth should have been part of the plan. Let's not get too deep into that poem. It was a joke. But let's say this together. Are you ready? We focus ruthlessly. Simplicity means clearly identifying and actively pursuing our highest priorities. And that includes consciously, on purpose, eliminating all the distractions. Get rid of the clutter that keeps us from focusing on what God wants us to focus on. It means actually doing what needs to be done. Again, this is not one more thing you're supposed to do. This is the thing you do to help you get the other stuff done. Does this make sense? It's not just a chore that God gives us. Oh, and also I need you to get rid of some stuff. That's not the point. The point is getting it done. So if every single one of us went back today and we cleaned out our closets and we only keep exactly what we're going to wear and we give the rest away and we go through our pantry and we only keep the stuff that we're going to eat and we know we will you know you're not going to eat that can of peas that's been there for three months you know you're not you've said no to it twenty seven times you know you're going to say no again right so you get rid of it that's simplicity that's how it works but that's not beautiful in and of itself what's beautiful in and of itself is if you, you go to the pantry and there's exactly what you're going to fix. And you, all you, you, you just use the time and the energy you have to just fix it. You don't have to think anymore about all the distractions. I hope this is making sense. Actually, a tour bus and even a great RV, a well-designed RV is a great illustration of all three of these things. It's one of the many things I like about living on the road kind of a lifestyle. Simple. It's simple. There's everything you need, but only what you need. Right. If you've ever lived in an RV or even stayed in one, there's only what you need in there. There's not a lot. There's no room for distractions. It's also built strategically. If it's a well-built one, everything is exactly where it needs to be for the flow of what you're doing. It just, I, I, I need to, there it is. You just walk through it and then you're just like, wow, this is so genius. That's stewardship. That's the essence of stewardship. And it's also, if it's a good one, again, it's reliable. It does its job. It's a home. It's a car. It's everything you need on the road. That is Excuse me, I'm sorry. That is serving. It's serving, it's doing its job. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He is a German theologian who lived during the era of when the Nazis were taking over Germany, little by little, setting up for World War II and then throughout World War II. I only have a few of his books and I I don't agree with every single thing that he said. But I I respect that he really got simplicity. Here's what he said. To be simple is to fix one's eyes solely on the simple truth of God at a time when all concepts are being confused, distorted, and turned upside down. How many feel like that might be a similar season that we're in right now? Simplicity is more important than ever in seasons when it's confusing when it's scary, when lies are being told in every direction, when it's hard to know which things are actually the truth. It's, it's, it, the more confusing it gets, the more we need to simply focus on what we know to be true, what we know to be important, what we know to actually be essential. It's actually in the scriptures. I like reading Bonhoeffer, but I actually got that quote from a book by Richard J. Foster. And if you don't know his name, you need to. Uh, he is probably the expert on um, spiritual disciplines, and his books are classics. All the other classics refer and quote to him a lot. He says this, We must never allow simplicity to deteriorate into another set of soul-killing legalisms. Always remember that simplicity is both a discipline and... And a grace. Brothers and sisters, this is kind of the heart of what I'm sharing with you this morning. I'm well aware that all three of these things that we're talking about could easily derail, easily deteriorate into legalism. It would be an easy way for us to really give ourselves a really high thumbs-up rating and a really low down, thumbs-down rating to other people who don't live as simply as we are or who don't manage their money and their other resources the same way we do or whatever else. They don't serve as much as we do. That's not where we're going with this. These are simply things that God uses to transform us as we simplify we actually start to love the things that God gave us to do more. We start to love the things that we were willing to get rid of less. It gets easier. Life gets easier, simpler. Now, as, we, as we practice these things, we change. That's the beauty of it all. That's where we're going with this. So the second thing then is stewardship. Let's say this together. We manage Responsibly. One more time. We manage responsibly. And again, we say manage because the heart of this is simply really understanding, really getting, really embracing, and living out the truth that it's not our stuff. It's not our money. It's not our house. It's not our land. It's not our car. It's not our guitar. It's not whatever. It's not ours. It belongs to God. We're here to manage it. It's not our time. It's not our energy. It's not our abilities and our skills. It's it's God's. And when we get that and we live that way, we we become able, we transform, we become able to invest our time and our abilities and our resources that God has entrusted to us and accomplish His purposes. We actually get His work done. We work hard to give Him a a good return on His investment. Jesus actually told a lot of stories about that. Does that sound familiar to you? Jesus spoke a lot about this idea. And throughout the scripture, these same ideas are all the way through. I like how Andrew said that. The same ideas flow through. And whenever you see stuff or money, gold, riches, land, anything that we quote-unquote own, whenever you see that throughout the scripture, you're going to see some core ideas. Here's four of them. One is responsibility. Everything God gives you, you're responsible to use that somehow. I'm responsible to use that for a purpose. We need to find that purpose and do that. Another one that's consistent is generosity. God gives you stuff not so you can be selfish and you can own more than everybody else and win at that game. He gives you stuff so that you can share. That's what love your neighbor as yourself means. If you've got enough to share, you do share. Just like you would want someone to share with you. Two of the transformative things that you see all the way through the scriptures are first fruits giving and tithing. Go ahead. I already got one amen, but I know everybody else is feeling like a sigh. So go ahead. Here it comes. Money talk. But seriously, please. If you can, look at this with fresh eyes because this is not one more thing to do. It's not one more thing on a list. It's not one way to, to prove to other Christians that you're really following Jesus. Or It's not a competition. This is simply something that we practice that shows that we remember that God owns it all. That we're lucky to keep any of the percent on, and use it on ourselves. And what happens is all the way through the scriptures, you see people giving w- w- their first fruits. They, they get, get the harvest, they give the best, the first harvest back. They, they get their paycheck, they give the first 10%. But this goes all the way back. One of the old ones is here in Genesis 14. Then... Uh, what? I've got to tell the story really quick. What happens is Abraham goes and rescues Lot. And he's fighting against this whole cohort of kings. It's a really epic battle. It's just really, You don't really think of Abraham normally as a warrior, but he was a pretty good warrior as well. And he not only wins the battle, saves his nephew, but he gets all this loot, all this spoil, and on his way home, this happens. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Again... Themes all the way through the scriptures. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be, Abram, by God Most High. By the way, it's Abram here. He hadn't even changed his name yet. Okay, This is old school. This is how far back this goes. Blessed be, Abram, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is the idea of the tithe. The first tenth. It's simple. It's hard. But there's something about doing that. For those of you who have tried it, it's, 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 there's something about that that trains our hearts, that trains our souls to, to really em- just embrace this idea that it all belongs to God anyway. And it opens the door for God to bless us in ways that He won't bless us if we don't do that. It's not that He's judging us. It's just, he, just like how He felt in Malachi uh, spoke through the prophet Malachi, is how he feels today. He says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Let me clarify again what I'm not saying here, okay? This is not a sermon because you guys aren't giving well. This is not me judging anybody. This is not me trying to say that at all. In fact, one of the things that's blown us away, and many other churches we've found out, is throughout the pandemic and when people are really afraid to meet in person, most people are still giving. That's been an incredibly refreshing and inspiring thing. God continues to provide for us. This is just the truth, y'all. This is just stuff that when we do this, when we act out the stuff that we know to be true, it opens the door for God to bless us in ways that we don't see unless we do that. That's one I hope that you're catching this morning. It's, it's, it's like if I said, hey, meet me at 3 o'clock and I'll give each person $5. It's not that I don't love everybody, but I'm only going to give everybody $5 who shows up at 3 o'clock. Does, it, does that make sense? The, the tithing thing is an extra thing that it trains you and changes you and it opens up you for extra blessings. It's not about getting rich. It's not a guarantee that you're going to be millionaires or have your own jet plane. It's nothing like that. It's just it, God is going to have a deeper connection with you in that area because of you and your choices. Luke eleven forty two. 42, this is Jesus talking to some people who tithe faithfully. And he said, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And again, God's much less concerned by you doing your math right than he is that you live right. What we do with our money, with our time, with our energy, that should be an expression of us really getting it, that everything that we have belongs to him. In in the study guide, there's three of the main things where we see, main passages where we see the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he always makes sure somehow that every group has all of those gifts in there somewhere. Uh, It's amazing. I've seen him do that over and over in so many different groups in my life. And he definitely has done that here, and I'm thankful. But again, it's all about love. All of those passages about how to use those gifts, it's about love and working together to accomplish things. Uh, I've used the Beatles a couple times in this series. I'll do it again, not because they're my absolute favorite band, but they are arguably one of the most inspirational and uh, successful and influential bands there's ever been, if that makes sense. People are inspired to be a band because of them. And one of the ones who's been more successful after Beatles has been Sir Paul McCartney. His most recent album just came out. Sorry, Music Geeks, Geeks, this is special for you. everybody else. Hold on, it'll only take a second. His latest album came out, McCartney Three, and he plays everything on it. Everything, every single instrument, he wrote all the songs, does all the harmonies, he does the entire thing. The dude's amazing. He's like 90 something, now, I think, um, maybe not. <laughs> but seriously, here's, here's the thing though. When he was in the Beatles, he mostly just played bass and sang harmony because he was working as a team. And the iconic songs that he's part of were are mostly Beatles songs. There's something powerful about that, even among the most talented people there ever are. And that is why we have to steward the stuff that we do. That's why we have to be humble. That's why we have to be willing to work as a team. That's how God designed us. Even the most talented people you'll ever meet. One more big idea. We're going to wrap up with this idea and summarize all three and how they tie together. Let's say these three words together. We serve relentlessly. One more time. We serve relentlessly. This is why God gives us gifts. This is why God gives us spiritual gifts, why he gives us money and time and relationships and houses and cars and all the other stuff that we have in our lives. This is why, so that we can serve. We can serve him and we can serve others. It's why he entrusts us with it, why he invests in us so and expects a return. his investment because he's giving us these things to serve and serving simply means doing something for God or for someone else sometimes we like the ways to serve that make us feel good we enjoy it sometimes we do enjoy it but that's not the point the point is doing what somebody else needs what somebody else needs especially if it's sent by God Jesus taught this. He showed us what it looked like. He commanded us to do it. There's no way to miss this. In fact, Richard J. Foster, one of the ways that he likes to help people remember the spiritual disciplines is he created little icons for each one. And the icon for service is a basin and a towel. Remember in John 13, when Jesus, uh, right before he gave the first Lord's Supper, he washed the disciples' feet. Who's heard this story? I'm pretty sure there were a lot of other times when somebody else washed Jesus' feet. He was okay with that. I think it's important to remember that comfort, or or being served, and some of those things aren't necessarily evil. The idea of freedom was originally God's idea. There's it, it, this again. This is not legalism, people. This is not us trying to create this this like competition: who can outpolite everybody else, who can outserve everybody else, and then you're the super Christian. That's not what it's about. But Jesus says, look, if I, your Lord and teacher, serve you, you guys can serve each other too. Follow my example. And and when it comes down to it, again, comfort is not a sin. Freedom is not a sin. But when it comes down to it, we've got to choose purpose and effectiveness over comfort and freedom. Purpose and effectiveness over comfort and freedom. And freedom It's got to be the priority there. It's not that comfort is wrong or freedom is wrong, but the purpose and the effectiveness of accomplishing God's purposes with the resources he's given us, that's got to be the priority. That's got to be what drives the train. That's how Paul could say something like this in Philippians 4. How many know Philippians 4, 13, maybe by heart, at least in some? I love that one. Great one. But in the context, if you remember, he's writing from prison. And it's also just a few verses earlier saying some other things like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He lists a lot of things to set your mind on, no matter the consequences. He wraps up that list with this. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned, and he even says, or seen in me, put it into practice. It's just... a very practical thing and he's going through covered in a lot of ground and he says I have learned the secret of being content in every situation whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want this is the context this is where that verse comes from I can do all this through him who gives me strength that's what that means it doesn't mean Jesus is going to help you learn how to fly Jesus is going to help you do anything you could possibly imagine. It means he's going to help you do whatever needs to be done if your priorities are straight. You can write one of the happiest letters that's ever been written from prison, like Paul did. Richard J. Foster says that serving people can be as simple as intently listening or actively guarding the reputation of someone else. He says it can be simple, everyday acts of kindness. Actually, most of the time, it's simple, everyday acts of kindness, not great big grandiose ones that we only do every once in a while. He says of all the spiritual disciplines, service is the most conducive to the growth of the grace of humility within us. And again, that is the heart of all of these things, is the transformation that God wants to do in our lives. These are the things he uses to change us. Again, here's the words of Jesus in John 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In the same chapter, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if... You love one another. This morning, as we wrap up, we're going to give you a chance to make a decision publicly. The band's going to come and play. As they, as they start to come, I, I need you to go back over one more time what we've talked about today. And, and I, I ask you to ask God to show you how you're going to do this. Because you don't need to hear me talk. You don't need to hear anybody talk. You need to hear the Holy Spirit telling you exactly what your next step is, and you need to take that next step. So how are you going to focus ruthlessly? How are you going to make time to get the stuff done, to love your family and love the other people around you, to do the stuff that God has called you to do? What are you going to let fall to the wayside so that you can focus? How are you going to manage God's stuff more responsibly? And that, God's, God's stuff is everything that you have, your money, your time, your energy, everything. How are you going to serve more relentlessly? Constantly be using what God has given you, entrusted you with for his purposes to bless others. Whatever he's telling you to do this morning, would you do that as we stand and sing? I'm going to be back in the band here this morning. My dad's going to come and receive whoever comes forward. And please just make that choice as we stand and sing.